So I'm going to just follow through from Philippians 1 verse 12 uh, through to the end of the chapter and we'll talk about it as we go. Um, Philippians is a a wonderful letter of Paul, as Ned told us last week, uh, one where um, Paul was in prison. Uh, He was imprisoned in Rome, or by the Romans at least, uh, and he um, uh, was preaching the gospel from where he was. I'm going to pray first. Father, I pray that today we would get a better understanding of who we are as uh, your people who glorify you and glorify you alone. And uh, I pray that you, by your spirit, would be in us, uh, working in us, uh, teaching us, renewing our minds and our hearts that we might serve you Serve you above ourselves. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As a, just an intro, one thing that I do think about more uh, now that I'm old. I'm, I'm, yeah, I am. I'm not as old as some. Um, you become more and more convinced in life that life is actually about God, it's about His glory. And it's not about us. We are temporary in the life we are in now. And uh, it is not about us. It is about him. And so as we become old, we become weak. And the weaker we become, in one sense, that weakness gives more glory to God. Not because he makes us strong, but because in, his weak- in our weakness, his strength is shown. And when we want to be strong, actually, we undo the glory of God because we are on about our own glory. How good am I? That's kind of what we are. Our life is about a life of reliance on him. Reliance on him is faith. That's what it is when you rely on God. And by relying on him and all that he is and all that he's done is actually giving glory to him. And relying on yourself and your own strength is actually giving glory to yourself. Can you see that? Okay. Verse 12 of Philippians 1. Now I want uh, you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard And to everybody else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. What Paul's saying here is, it's really good that I'm in jail. I'm glad that I'm in jail. There's been two great consequences of my being in jail, and I'll talk about them in a sec. But he is saying... I have a body view, a a church view of why I'm in jail, not a selfish view. The the selfish view says, woe is me, it's all about me, that the Christian life is all about my enjoyment, my actualisation, my my whatever it is, self-esteem. That's the word, isn't it? Sorry. We actually don't believe in self-esteem. Do you know that? We're Christians. 
We believe in the esteem that we know who we are because of who God says we are and what he's done for us. It's not about what we think about ourselves. If we thought about what we think about ourselves, well, we'd always live in a kind of, well, Buddhism, basically. Okay? We are actually on about not a selfish view, but God's view, a kingdom view, which is the glory of Christ, which is what Paul is saying. I don't mind that I'm in jail because... Good things are happening for the kingdom, not about me. Number one, I've been able to evangelise the whole palace guard. I've been able to all those Roman soldiers. So he's not sitting there saying, woe is me. He's sitting there preaching Jesus to the palace guard. And what's more, I don't think he'd be so happy unless the people were believing. So the Romans are believing. And the second thing he says, is other Christians have become more confident because he's in jail preaching the gospel that uh, that actually makes them bold. Now, you might think that's strange. Why would the suffering of a Christian make you bold? It's just a fact. It's not that uh, we often think that the glory is in the victory. You're suffering and you get over suffering and that's good witness to Christ. Actually, the glory of witness is in the suffering. There's a very strange book that went around in the 50s, a Christian book called Through Gates to Splendour. I don't know if you remember that. Anybody remember it? Five, five missionaries uh, uh, went to Ecuador to, uh, to attempt to missionise uh, a, a completely untouched people group, a tribe. Um, they were called Orcas or Alcas. And uh, they, which is, was their word for savage, actually. They were a savage tribe. And, and they went there, and you can read the book. It's a great book. Um, and it tells how they tried, and they built relationships. And the book ends when all five missionaries are killed. And that's kind of the end of the story. Wow. And yet, and once, in one sense, you sort of think, What's the point of that? There was a sequel written, of course, by their children, which happened 50 years later, and and about those same tribes coming to Christ, and that was good. But at the time, the witness of these men, they were men who died, the witness actually of the wives and family who wrote the book and stuff, caused a great many people to be inspired in their faith and boldly preach Christ from a seeming failure. I remember we would years ago hear about people. I read that book and I was just so so encouraged to preach the gospel. And you think, why? (laughs) They all died. But can you see this? You see, we often, what I'm trying to do today, if we're talking about the glory of Christ and the glory of man, or, no, actually, the glory of Christ and the non-glory of man, we think that it's about success. God is quite comfortable using failure to glorify his name. It's, yeah, okay. You might have to go home and think about that for a while. Okay? Because, you see, martyrs honour God by their martyrdom, don't they? And he... Preaches to Christians in the power of the Holy Spirit and brings an encouragement. There's something about 
martyrdom which actually gives Christians a confidence to preach the gospel. In places where uh, there are a far greater persecution than there is, as we know it, in Australia, the gospel is driven out by the blood of the martyrs. Why? If that was us, we'd think, well, we'd go home and not talk to anybody. But you see, the Holy Spirit uses the testimony of people who suffer for their faith to drive the gospel out. So what Paul is saying is, I'm so encouraged because since I've been in jail, a whole lot of people are becoming bold to preach the gospel. Back to front? Not really. God uses our weakness. And he bears his weakness weakness through our weakness. So then all the glory is to God alone. Does that make sense? It's okay to be weak. It, it, it brings us confidence to actually know that it is the Holy Spirit who does the work through our words, not us. Okay. Verse 15. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defence of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition. Not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. This is a really hard passage. This is hard. Okay. There are some people who preach Christ out of rivalry, jealousy and uh, selfish ambition. In other words... They preach Christ, but they have themselves in mind. They, uh, they don't live... And, and Paul always faced these people who rejected him, and we'll talk about them a bit more and more. In 2 Corinthians, he calls them the super apostles. They were the success people. They were the ones who said, Paul can't be a true Christian. Look at him. He's in jail. He's getting beat up. He's been stoned twice. He keeps getting shipwrecked and all this sort of stuff. How could he be a good Christian? Obviously, success is the mark of a Christian. And he, he's saying that if you live like that, you live with a selfish ambition and then you preach Christ as if it's going to bring back good to yourself. It's, it's a bit like some people will say, you know, it's better to give than receive. Well, that's in the Bible. But what they really mean is it's better to give because then Christ, God will give you more back times 10 and no returns or something like that. Um, no, not no return. But you see, it's just good to give. It's good to be in weakness. Does that make sense? Okay. These people were lining their nests. But somewhere in there they were preaching Christ. And for that reason, Paul was glad because still the Holy Spirit uses fallen people and they uh, bring glory to God because the fact is uh, people believe. Now, this is not talking about those people. This is not saying, so everybody who preaches and mentions the name of Jesus is right. Because Paul, well, actually, every book in the New Testament bar Philemon, which is sort of half a page, mentions false teachers. He's not talking about those people. Those false teachers actually get the truth of God wrong. He's actually talking about people who still preach uh, Christ in some form. 
That's why it's hard to understand this passage. Because Paul is brutal on those. If you read the first chapter of Galatians, he says, may these false teachers be given over to eternal condemnation. Right. And what people was he talking about there? He was talking about people who came to Christ and then went back to obedience to the law to try and justify themselves. There is such a thing as false teaching. Do you believe that? We need to. There's lots of it about. Okay. You see, the difference is, do we have in mind, I know we did our series on Mark and we saw that very clearly. Mark says, you have in mind the things of man, not the things of God. We preach Christ crucified and that is ultimately a message which crucifies ourselves because it highlights our sin, our need, our inability. It highlights our sin and his perfect righteousness, our weakness and his strength, our constant failings. It's not our obedience. Who's obedient? We're obedient occasionally in a small way. He had perfect obedience. Our total reliance on him, his glory. When we preach Christ, we show and we glorify him by showing that everything of any value is found in him and him alone. There is no value in anything but him. When we speak of our ability, I want you to just tell you how good I am. I did do a lot of good Christian things. When we speak of that, we're glorifying ourselves. Okay. Everybody at some point in time who's a Christian preaches Christ out of selfish motives. We are, we are horribly selfish people. Our sinful nature, which is with us, uh, causes us to be like that at times. Again, I'd say, this is not talking about false teachers, those who get Christ wrong. There's, if you read um, 1 John, I know we did that a couple of years ago as well, you found that John said, there are certain people who say Jesus didn't come in the flesh. They're, they're of the devil. He's pretty black and white. There are certain people who said that Jesus is not the Messiah or the Saviour. They're, they're from the devil. I'm paraphrasing here. There are certain people that say that Jesus is not the Son of God. They're from the devil. Okay? And there are certain people who, who say they're Christians who don't love one another. They're not. They're not Christians. Do you understand what I'm saying? So there is such a thing as false teaching in the Bible. It's, it's actually there. Okay, but what he's saying is, I rejoice that the name of Christ goes out and that's all that counts to me. And he goes on in verse 18 and says, Yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of, Christ, of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will be in no way ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Can you see here, Paul is on about the glory of God and the glory of God only. I just want Christ to be exalted in my body, in my words, in everything I do. That's all I want. And he gives glory to God because he's saying everything I do of any value comes through your prayers or through the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's not me. It's coming to me by God. It's God who does that. And and. Whilst it's funny, the, the, the Bibles, uh, both the ESV and NIV and probably a whole lot of others, they, they translate that word that says, um, 
God's provision of the, of the Spirit of Christ Jesus has happened will turn out for my deliverance because they want, they think in Paul's wanting to be let free from jail. But actually the Greek word there is not deliverance, it's salvation. <laughs> Ultimately I want to be saved. That's what I'm actually on about. Because you see, we are not those who seek heaven on earth. We look forward to heaven, and he's going to say this in a minute. I look forward to heaven a whole lot more than I do of earth. We, we love to build our own little kingdoms and our own little safe spots and our own little everythings. We are actually on about heaven with God, without our sinful bodies. Okay. We look forward to a salvation that is future. Now, how can salvation be future when we are saved? Because Paul says in Ephesians 2, you have, it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. You have been saved, he says. It has happened, and that's absolutely true. But you see, in Philippians, he also says, uh, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, you have a salvation, but it's to be lived in, and it's to be explored and enjoyed. And to packed into every part of your uh, lives. And then in Romans 13, 11, Paul says, Our salvation is nearer now than it was when we first believed. In other words, we're getting closer to heaven. It's going to be a full and wonderful experience of our salvation. And that is coming soon. And when's he meaning? He's actually talking about the day he dies. That's what he's looking forward to. It's really clear because he says that, verse 21, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I live now, he's saying, my life is all about Christ. That's, that's what I'm on about. I want to live for him in everything I do. And if I die, well, that's even better because I'll be with Christ. I'll be even closer than I am now. And that's, you know, I, I don't think we'll ever experience a full joy in Christ unless we can say what Paul says there. Otherwise, we'll always holding on to a hope, which ultimately is idolatry, a hope in this life. I, I, I want to live to 120 and have perfect health and, and blah, blah, blah. No, I long to be with Christ. Because... After we die, as Christians, if our faith is in him, we will be even closer to him and we will glorify him because we know that all has come through him. And our fellowship then will be perfect with him, walking with God in the cool of the evening every day of our lives and worshipping him and enjoying him. So he goes on and says, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. He's weighing up. I, it, it sounds terribly morbid, but he's saying, I just wish I could die and go be, to be with the Lord. But I know that my life at the moment is fruitful labour. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Can you see... What are you saying? Yeah, a nod. Just so that, yeah, that's good. Convinced of this, 
I know that I will remain. So I know that at the moment I'm called to remain and to preach the gospel to you. And I will come with you, sorry, with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. He's content to stay to preach the gospel so that the Philippians will grow in joy, that they'll progress in their faith and that they too will boast in Christ Jesus to his glory. They will boast on the account of the way that Jesus is working through Paul. You see, Paul knows this. He says in 1 Corinthians uh, 1.31, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. Why are you in Christ Jesus? Because of him. Who has become for us wisdom from God. He is the wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Who is our righteousness, holiness and redemption? Christ. Are you saved because of you? No. Are you holy because of you? No, it's because of Christ. Yep. He is our righteousness. Do you have a righteousness? You have a perfect righteousness if it comes from Christ. And if you don't have a righteousness from Christ, you don't have any righteousness. It's all wrongteousness. Yes, that's a word. Therefore, it, it is written, let one who boasts, boast in the Lord. That's where a boasting is. I don't apologise for this message. It's, it, is one, it is brutal on the humanity and says that it is not, life is not about our glory. It is about Christ's glory. It's about God's glory and it's about what he does. So he said in verse 27, whatever happens... Now, I just the Greek word there for whatever happens, because it sounds a bit like a teenager, whatever, but is a, is a word that says monon or mono, one. It, you translate it actually only. Only. One thing I'm going to tell you, just one thing. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. It's the first command in his book. Actually, I think that if you read through Paul's commands carefully, you'll find that all of them are basically the same. Conduct yourselves worthy with the gospel. The good news, that's the gospel, is about Jesus. It's about who he is and what he's done. So live in a manner worthy of what he's done for you. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves like that. Now, this is a whole lifetime of working out. This is what the gospel is. How do I live in accordance with that gospel? We will spend our Christian lives always working out. I can give you some examples. They're the basic, uh, and I will. I'm only going to give you seven, but I'm not going to go forever with this. So, Number one, you live by grace because you're under grace. He has shown you grace, undeserved grace. So what are we as people? We are people who know we don't deserve what we have. We are so Thankful, we glorify God and we show grace to others. Because we, I don't know if you realise you're surrounded by sinners. Yeah. You're going to need grace in this life, aren't you? Yeah. Uh, by the way, you are one. So the same way that he's shown you grace, you show others grace. Yeah. Number two, you love as he's loved. You treat other people as more important as yourself. You put other people first. Yep. 
You live in holiness. We, live, we actually believe in holiness. That is really strange. We say laws like you should not lie and then we just about every day lie. <laughs> yep, isn't that funny? Well, that's what we can do because of the gospel. We don't accept sin because it, we know the law of God is right and true. And even if we get it wrong, it's still right and true. But we know that his holiness stands and we have been saved as a gift of God. So we admit holiness. A really good example of another way, this is the fourth one I'm up to already, I'm doing this really quick. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. In Galatians 2, Paul speaks about Peter and he says Peter was showing favouritism to the Jews. He, he became sort of shut off and he'd sit in the corner with all the high and mighty Christians and he looked down on all the Gentile ones. Okay? And, it, it, and Paul says this about Peter. Peter was not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. He didn't say, Peter was being a racist. He said, Peter, you're not living, you're acting in line with the truth of the gospel. You see? The gospel worked out in our lives affects everything, the way we think, the way we treat others. The fifth thing is, the gospel calls us to forgive as we've been forgiven. You're going to work that out for the rest of your lives because we are terrible at forgiving, aren't we? I'm really good at holding grudges. I tell you what, if any of you in this room have said anything bad uh, to me that's offended me, I remember it. <laughs> yeah. and, and the other ones don't know me enough, but you will offend me eventually. We are terrible at forgiving. Okay. The sixth part of the living out the gospel, we live by faith. In Romans 1, Paul says, In the gospel, a righteousness is received that is from faith to faith. In other words, we were saved by faith because of what Jesus had done. But what do we go on to? Faith. We live by what Jesus has done. The gospel has washed us and the gospel goes on washing us. So we always live in complete faith. That's all we got. Okay, so I've just laid out to you six little things there which are completely impossible for any of you to do. So just ignore what I said. No. The gospel is the most important thing in the world. Live in it and you can do this because of the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't do motivational talks in church. Do you know that? If you, in fact, if you are giving motivational talks, you're drawing on the flesh and the glory of man. Who can cause you to be able to forgive when we're terrible at forgiving? The Holy Spirit. Who can cause you to love? Impossible. There's so many people who are impossible to love. The Holy Spirit. Who can cause you to live in holiness? The Holy Spirit. To live by grace. To not show favouritism. To live by faith. Everything we do is in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then who gets the glory? He does. Because he's brought it to us. So get, get this. Have you ever overcome sin in your life? A sin? Just one little one? Well, occasionally we do. Who gets the glory for that? God does. The Holy Spirit's done that in us. Isn't that good? Can you understand what I'm saying? All glory be to God. Because if you, if you know Paul's letters, you know that there's a general structure. He spends a whole lot of time telling you about what Jesus has done. And then there's a turning point in the middle of his letters, particularly say if it comes in chapter 12 of Romans, but if you're in Ephesians, he says, now in light of the gospel, live like this. 
Right. And then he'll always go on to the same thing. Oh, and by the way, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Walk the walk of the Holy Spirit. Be a, be a glow with the Holy Spirit, he says. So in other words, here's the gospel. Here's the truth. Here's what God's done for you. Therefore, out of this, live like this. Now you can't live like this. You need the Holy Spirit. If I were to tell you, you need to live for the glory of God and not the glory of yourself, I'm telling you something that you can't do unless you have the Holy Spirit and he will do it in you. Do you get that? So you rely on him for everything. It's his power in our lives. Then, when it, whether I come to you and see you or only hear about you in absence, I don't know if I'm going to get out of jail. I don't know if I'm going to come and see you. But I will know if what well, if you live in accordance with the gospel. I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Yeah. If I never see you again, he's saying, I don't care if you live in the gospel. You'll live by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Then you'll be firm. Then you'll be solid. Then you'll have one spirit, the spirit who binds us together, the Holy Spirit, united in him. There we're striving together as one for the faith of one gospel. Yep. There's true unity that comes through the spirit of God. What did he say? I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign that they will be destroyed and that you will be saved and that by God. There is opposition to the gospel, opposition to the work of the Holy Spirit. It's always there and it actually comes generally in the life of the church. We can say, oh, the world's given us a hard time, but really as Christians, the world doesn't give us that hard a time most of the time, does it? Where do our biggest pains come? Biggest problems from those who are within the church who are there to be self-righteous, to glorify themselves. Uh, people, we still have this thing where we have people in churches who don't believe their sins. So they don't believe they need Jesus, so they glorify themselves, they don't glorify God, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But Paul says, don't be concerned too much about them. God's a judge. He says... He, he, he'll destroy the ones that are wrong and, and, and he'll save those who are right, who live by faith. Now, it's hard for us because sometimes, you know, we get mad with somebody and we think, ah, they're of the devil. Yeah, we're pretty quick to do that. The good thing is God's the judge. He knows if they've got faith in Christ or not, not us. And he will save those who have faith in Christ and he will judge eternally those who do not. He says, verse 29, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. It's been given to us, granted to us, that we believe. Do you know that? What a gift from God that you believe. That's have faith. That's have trust. We actually know that. Paul said it elsewhere. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. Isn't that good? Actually, in other places, it talks about God granting us repentance. God giving us repentance. 
Do you know, if the Holy Spirit doesn't start the journey, give you repentance and faith, you'll never believe anyway. It all begins with God. Isn't that great? I don't know. Sometimes I think, uh, and you even hear people say, I don't want to glorify God too much. It's like, I'm just going to say he's done everything. You can't glorify him too much. He is far and above our greatest thoughts. He is doing things so far before we know he's doing things. He is turning people's hearts and minds and putting thoughts. And, you know, sometimes we say, you know, everything fell into place and this happened. And I met this person in the street and it was just the right time. But if you ever think in your head, what had to happen to make you have that chance meeting? How many things in their life and your life and everything else, it'll blow your mind. God is working far before we ever thought of having an idea to talk to somebody. Do you understand? He is so far above us. All glory is his. And he's also given us a great gift to suffer for him. Yay. (laughs) We hate suffering, don't we? But the Christian life is one of suffering. We join in the sufferings of Christ. Romans 8, 17. There's... Heaps of verses that say it. But now if we are children, children of God, we are also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. That's generally where the verse stops. Because the next bit says, if indeed we share in his sufferings, and also that, in order that we may also share in his glory. You see, Paul didn't care about sufferings because he knew that they bear witness to God. Yeah. Actually, the, the Bible's full of it. It's, it says, you know, what does Paul say? Um, you know, that uh, hardship produces perseverance, which produces <clears throat> character, which produces hope. Because God's shone Christ in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Yeah? So he's, what he's saying there is hardship's good for you. In Hebrews 12, he says, um, you know, because of, uh, endure hardships as God's discipline. Because Although they're not pleasant at the time, they will produce in you a harvest of righteousness and peace. Sufferings is good. We, we naturally as Christians think, well, the best way is if we allow suffering to go. And he says, no, because in that weakness, Christ is made known and glorified. Which is all I'm on about today. You see, Christianity is not a vehicle to fulfil worldly, selfish desires. It's about the glorification of God. And chiefly, we preach Christ because that brings glory to God. And we live in the gospel and that brings glory to God. We are not our own. So glorify the Lord. Proclaim his greatness. Proclaim his son. In your words, in your lives, in your conduct. I'm going to pray. Father, I pray that you would give us your Holy Spirit that we might live in the fullness of what we've been talking and thinking about today. I pray that you would make it real to us, that we would fall at your feet in reliance on you, that we would know that our salvation is all from you, that our sanctification, our holiness is all from you, and, Father, that we were made for you and you alone. I pray that we would look to your glory alone and that you would give us the Holy Spirit that we might actually 
do that in your power and your strength and again to your glory. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.